This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Saturday Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. We should have the Philly sports guy dropping in. And we got a special guest today, folks. Uh, we got Jason Gonzalez, uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, reporter, he'll be on and give us a kind of an update to, to then report on the Kentucky Derby with us, cover about the horses, hopefully, and the the disc the jockeys. I must say, this jockey that we well, played covering for the Louisville Courier Journal, he's a right, Louisville Courier Journal. He's on location at the Kentucky Derby. Really? I mean, he might be trackside while we're speaking, you know, this moment, even though the race is hours away. Yeah. That'll be take great. place to late afternoon. But for the people in Kentucky, this is their Super Bowl, Mac. That's yes. hard to believe. I mean, we don't feel that Super Bowl feeling here, you know, where we're located, me in New York, you in Connecticut right now. But in Kentucky, what a buzz is going on there right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I've known some some people have gone there and they say it's quite the quite the showcase. Um, everybody dresses up in the old fashioned, you know, hats and the women are in dresses and the guys in suits and they have a great, they have a great time. And the tickets are very expensive. By the way, I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch. And we're going to start you off with some debate, uh, debate topics. And we'll come, like I said, nine, about nine o'clock, Jason should be in. So, Jack, uh, Aaron Judge's hurt became one of the many Yankees that are hurt this, this year. And it's really tearing the Yankees up. They're off to... Uh, not too, not too good of a start to, to begin the year. Uh, hopefully they turn things around. Uh, you know, does does the injury to Aaron Judge, Jack, does does that make you question him, his, his, his status going forward? I mean, is he going to be injured over the length of the contract? And if he is, how does that affect the Yankees? I don't think it, it doesn't concern me in the slightest of the length of the contract. They signed him to a nine-year contract. Do you really think they thought he'd go nine years and be healthy the whole time? It was the type of injury he got hustling on a play. It could happen to anyone. It's not a devastating injury. It's a short-term injury. He was put on a 10-day you know, injured reserve list. And you know these things are going to happen on and off during the season with most players, and it's going to happen to him again. I mean, I would be more concerned with a John Carlos Stanton-type injury because he seems to get injured over and over again. And I know Judge has somewhat of an injury history from the past. But look, last year he was as durable as any player in the major leagues considering how hard he played day in and day out and wasn't injured. And But the truth is, any ball player, you're going to pay the type of money you pay judge, $40 million a year, you know, for nine years. He's a valuable commodity. You want to handle him with care to a degree. But can you handle him with care? You can't put him in the lineup and say, Aaron, don't die for balls. Don't run hard, you know, on certain to first base. Don't steal a base if, if we're up 3 nothing. Be conservative. Yeah. And you can't just play that way. You have to just play them and, and you hope for the best. Look, the great Mariano Rivera suffered one devastating injury in his career, Mac. And it didn't happen while he was pitching in an actual game. 
It happened when he was shagging balls in the outfield. What are you supposed to tell him? Oh, Mariano, don't shag balls in the outfield. Obviously, if he's diving into the stands during batting practice, trying to catch a ball that's hit, yeah, you talk to him. No, none yeah. of that nonsense. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, let him play the game and warm up the right way. And But to answer your question, Judge, it's always a concern, you know, for any star player. You want to keep them healthy. You want to keep them on the field. But I don't think this is basically out of the norm from any other superstar. Yeah. Good morning, Rich. Glad to have you aboard. And you're right. The way yeah. the judge, the way the way Judge plays, he's very susceptible susceptible to injuries. I mean, you know, diving for the balls, uh, sliding in uh, head first. Um, but he's he's a hustler, and, and you want that out of your your captain. You want that out of your leader. Um, you know, I. I I can't blame them, but maybe, as you said, and I agree with you here, Jack, there's no debate. Maybe they should, they should take care of him a little bit, maybe DH him a little bit more, keep his bat in the lineup, um, you know, and then play him, play him in, uh, and maybe in, in right field more than center where he doesn't have to run all over the place, making diving catches. Um, so we agree on that. Um, you make a great point, man. Judge will Good, good. No, no, no. I just want to stop you there because you made a great, great point that I haven't heard anyone really talk about. I think the Yankees are just better off playing him in right field. They were playing him in center field at times, and Harrison Bader was out. Because right. Judge can play center and right, you know, equally well for the most part. But he's a great right fielder. Play him there. He's not going to have to cover as much ground. He's not going to have quite as much responsibility, but he's still going to be a shutdown right fielder and a yeah. big asset there. Yeah. I, I was wondering, do you think that Judge will get the home runs good? I think I don't think he hits 60 home runs this year, Jack. I think I think he's I, I don't think he'll make that many. Maybe he hits in the 50s, you know, maybe 55 or something like that, which is still a great, a, a great you know, home run year. I, I don't I don't know if he'll be able to hit as many home runs as he did last year, though. That was that was unbelievable. So Mac, what would be wrong with 35 home runs, a hundred RBIs, and a golden glove type performance in the outfield? Would there be anything wrong with that? No, no, I don't think so. 62 homers. Forget about 62 homers, forget about 50 homers. They're just numbers. If he hits between 30 and 40. Knocks in his big share runs. Keep in mind, it's going to be harder for Judge to put up numbers because he's the big bat in the lineup that they're going to pitch around. Yeah. So he's going to be a little handicapped. Of course, you can bat him ahead of Rizzo, and Rizzo is a threat. You know, you could do things like that, you know, forcing him to pitch to Judge. And what happens if he gets a ton of walks? He's amongst the league leaders in walks. I mean, to me... That's a heck of a year. He doesn't need a comparison numbers. Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle in 1961, Maris hit 61 homers, Mantle hit 54 homers. The following season, Maris dipped from 61 homers to 33 homers. Right. Mantle dipped from 54 homers to 30 homers. So listen to this, Mac. So the two of them combined slipped from 115 homers combined in 1961 to 63 homers, okay? Oh. So that's 37 to 52 less homers 
They hit the following year combined. And guess what? They won the World Series the following year. The Yankees won the World Series in 62. So who cares at the end, right? It's just right. numbers. I agree. I agree. And, and and staying with baseball, we have the rosin problem. And I call it a problem because I don't think they're, they're, the umps are doing the right thing. And, and this is what I mean, Jack. You know, we had Scherzer. He had, you know, he had the sticky rosin because he was sweating and the rosin got sticky. And then the last game, the ump was checking his glove every inning. And finally, Scherzer's like, come on, man, enough. So I don't know if you change the rule as much as you change the umpires, how they interpret the rule. I mean, you have you have certain, of course, of course, strike zones and and every umps the umpsters they are pretty much they call their own shots, which is to me is wrong too. I think there should be an established strike zone, and I think any rule that Major League makes should be followed by all the umpires. Um, so, kind of changing the question because I think we both agree on that. Do you think the umpires have way too much power, Jack, in determining the outcome of the game? No, 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 not not with the rule changes they don't at this time. I guess the most responsibility they have is like something that happened to Max Schertz, uh, uh, judging whether he did anything illegal or any substance. I'll be honest about it, Mac. I'm completely unqualified to talk about rosin, you know, what's yeah. too much, what's too little, what you could do to the ball. I don't fully understand that. I mean, I would love to have a high-profile pitcher on and ask him this basic question. If you allow a pitcher to do whatever he wants to the darn ball, how much a difference is it going to make as long as you don't scuff the ball up to the point where if it hits the bat, it loses some velocity off the bat? As long as the velocity off the bat can be the same. And we're just talking about spin of the ball. I don't fully understand. I mean, let's I mean this goes this goes back, I mean, decades from the spitball and then to 1986 and then the National League playoffs with Mike Scott supposedly scuffing the ball and he was inside the heads of the Met players. But what difference does it make if you scuff the ball? Does it give it more spin? How do you get more spin on a scuffed ball? You know, I just don't fully understand and especially with the rosin what's what's the advantage to rosin so the ball doesn't slip out of the pitcher's hand i guess that he could have the impression is it gives you better control you use the rosin but beyond it giving a pitcher better control does it help his curveball does it help his breaking ball does it help his slider does it make him help him throw the ball one mile per hour quicker I just don't fully understand it. I, I've used rosin when I pitch, and I, you know, once the the sweat from your hand hits the rosin, you've got you've got great control. Yeah, your 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 breaking balls work better. You get more snap on your on, on the ball when it comes out of your fingers. It does dive harder, um, and I think this is the advantage that they were talking about with Scherzer, um, but. I don't know how it affects the batter. I mean, 
I would imagine helps the batter if it sticks to sticks to the bat that extra second too. I mean, I, that gives you more control over the batter. So I don't, I don't think it it's it's you know just for one side. I think it helps both sides, Jack. So I mean, I I think that uh, I think the umps again uh, in any other sport in the NFL, the rule is the rule. The ref doesn't change the rule or or, or interpret the rules the other way. It's hockey, basketball. But in baseball, I mean, you know, I've seen where where you know the umps want to be the star. They want to argue. They want you know they want the spotlight on them instead of the players. No, no, I I don't agree with that point, Mac. We don't even. I can't even remember the umpires' names in the shirts of controversy. Come on, listen. We used to have umpires like a Ron Luciano. Would show both behind home plate when they call the guy out at home plate, they would go into a whole routine and he wound up on the Johnny Carson show, you know. But you get certain officials, you get certain guys like referees in boxing who might kind of like showboat a little more, okay. And you yeah. know, there was one particular boxing referee who Jim Lampley was enthralled with on HBO. He keep pointing out how wonderful he was. And I thought the referee was a clown making some faces, an absolute clown, you know, if he'd do something like that, completely unprofessional. But Jim Lampley was, you know, he was fascinated by, you know, this nonsense. And it didn't catch on his fascination sure. with anyone else. But getting back to the pitches, this goes back, like I said, uh, over 50 years, 1966. Yankee opening day in Yankee Stadium. Yankee pitches Whitey Ford. The game is stopped, and there's a big controversy because Whitey Ford, as it turned out, had a, a mini hot water bottle in his butt, in his back pocket. Sure. You know, and he did it, obviously. It had to be for circulation of the hand to keep his hand warm. So he'd go to the back, you know, stick his hand in his butt, and there was a hot water bottle, supposedly, his equivalent of a heater or whatever. Sure. And, the, and then Ralph Hoff was out arguing, and I, I don't remember how it was resolved. I think he had to maybe remove the uh, hot water bottle. Hey, from Scotland, how you doing, Michael? Uh, uh, Mitchell, I don't think we're really going to be talking uh, soccer today, yeah, even though we, that's the big sport in, in Scotland, I think. But yes. we got until we have packs on this morning, He's right. a soccer guy. Well, but, well, we'll have, uh, uh, Mitchell, we'll have a guest star in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Jason Gonzalez will be on with us at nine. And we do talk about boxing and stuff like that. So, and Buchanan, my all time favorite, you know, by, by one of my all time favorites, recently passed away, fighter from Scotland, there you lost the world lightweight title to. Uh, Roberto Duran on June 26, 1972 at Madison Square Garden. I was there to fight. There you go. And I'll tell you, Scottish... It's Duran, a heck of a fight. Duran yes. always said him and Sugar Ray Leonard were the two most skillful guys he ever fought. I mean, he yeah. he was really high on Ken Buchanan and Roberto Duran. Yeah, really I complimentary. Mean, them Scottish are some tough people, Jack. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so... You know, we talked about this before the show. I've mentioned it during the week. You know, the league seems to be going to younger players, the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, uh, the Orioles. I mean, uh, they're they're full in their rosters with <clears throat> younger players. And, of course, 
because of their budgets, because a lot of them are small market teams, that's really the way they can compete. Uh, Tampa Bay is another one. And, you know, they're having success where the teams like the Yankees and the Mets, who are, you know, they're for the most part, they're signing veterans, uh, big names, which is all well and good. But a lot of them are getting injured on the Mets and on the Yankees, and they're not producing, Jack. So is this a wave of the future? Is this something uh, that all teams are going to be doing pretty soon? Cut their salaries down, have excitement with the young kids, win ball plays, competitive games. Is this something you see in the future? Well, the thing of the future, yeah, to a degree, yeah. But the thing of the future is when you sign these young players, it's risky. Because you see a young talent, he gets off to a really good start in his major league career. And you have to determine whether you want to sign him to a long-term deal. And I'll give you an example of how risky it could be. If the Yankees followed the blueprint of, let's say, the Atlanta Braves and some other teams who like to sign guys very early, a few years before they can become a free agent, at least a few years, you're taking the risk. What happens if the player flames out? Remember the way Gary Sanchez came up for the Yankees? He was sensational in the beginning. Could you imagine the Yankees say, hey, we're going to sign this guy to a 10-year deal because he's young, and we're going to give him – we're going to save a lot of money, but he's going to get a lot of money too. We're going to meet him halfway – You know, the Padres did that with Fernando Tatis. It might still work out with Tatis. I suspect there's a good chance it will ultimately, even though he had the PED suspension for 81 games. They wound up signing Tatis for the equivalent of $24 million a year for 14 years. But considering if they didn't sign him and he became a free agent, he could sign for $35 million a year elsewhere. They're going to wind up losing him are paying a lot more ultimately. So they figured they'll save money. It's kind of win-win. He gets somewhat less than he could maybe get later on, but he's going to be with them 14 years, basically his whole career. Anthony Volpe, Mac, he's worth now to me, good enough prospect for the Yankees to sit down and work out a 10-year deal right now. So he can't be a free agent in six years. Work out a 12-year deal. Anthony Volpe's 21, Mac. I'm all for working out a 14-year deal with Anthony Volpe. Now, if they can sign Anthony Volpe for $15 a year, about that much, for 14 years, I mean, I guess you do it. I mean, you look at the numbers now because he's going to arbitration. He won't make much the next couple of years. I'm just throwing a number, not an exact number. So don't hold me to that exact number. But sign him to a team-friendly deal. He has security. He's going to be a Yankee basically his whole career. But what happens if Anthony Volpe turns into a mediocre player? All he can do is really steal bases after a while. He regresses a little as a fielder. He's a 205 hitter. It, he, let's say he's the second coming of Aaron Hicks. The Yankees signed Hicks to a seven-year deal, $10 million a year. And I didn't hear our guys on the show like Keith Engel complaining about that at the time. Oh, what a blunder. How could they sign him? And, you know, and I didn't hear guys like our Doc Semendinger say, oh, cut your losses. Just move on from them. Eat the money. 
Yeah. I didn't hear them complain during the time of the signing, you know, oh, what a mistake. My thought was, you know, maybe Hicks could have done a little better. I'm not sure if I would have signed the deal if I was Hicks at the time. That was my thought. I might, I might not. I was like going back and forth in my head. I was 50-50. I don't know what I ultimately would have done if I were Aaron Hicks. And as it turned out, if he didn't sign it, wow, what a mistake that would have been considering how bad he's been. At least he's got his money. But that's a chance you take, Mac. The uh, Tampa Bay Rays are doing that with their players. They're signing them to long-term deals. A few years before they become a free agent, they can get them cheap as well. Teams are doing that. So you make a good point. I kind of feel it is a way for the future signing guys way in advance. It's risky. You take a chance. You only do it with your great prospects. So you sure. feel you can't miss guys for the most part. But I'm going to tell you, Mac, supply and demand. Big name free agents, someone's always going to step up and sign them. Are they not going to sign like a big name free agent? I mean, it's hard to imagine in Otani going to the market next year and they're not being fierce bidding on him, big bidding on him. I can't imagine lukewarm interest. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I agree. I, I, I There's always going to be those owners that will – that are going to sign uh, the big names, and uh, you know, and 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 a lot of times they trade away their, uh, you know, their their young players, the farm system players, and the prospects. The Yankees did that a lot, and uh, you know, they're finally starting to get some of those young players into into the system and and bringing them up. So uh, the Yankees are doing it a little bit. So we'll see how, if they continue that or not. Um, is you know, we talk about players and, and we talk about coaches and the grind they go through to be with their families and they and they miss their families during the season. I guess you could say the same by pay, play-by-play announcers and color commentators that, you know, they're on the road all the time and, and, and they're covering games all the time. And if they got a family, Jack, it's hard for them, uh, you know, hard for, hard for them and hard on their family. Um, if you were – if you were a famous play-by-play guy and you were, you know, you just got married and you just had kids, um, what would you do, Jack? Are you taking, are you taking that? Are you, are you going to, are you going to put your family before, you know, the, the, your job? You know, a few years ago at a boxing match, okay, Max Kellerman came over to me before a show and pulled up a seat. I'm friendly with Max. Great guy. Big ESPN stars of broadcast. And I said to him, you missed your calling, you know, as like a broadcast. And you can immediately tell he's absorbed in thought. He's thinking like, what do I mean? What the heck am I talking about? He's successful on ESPN. Now, Max loves the Yankees. Big Yankee fan. I said, you should have been a Yankee broadcaster, you know. And he's starting to think in his own head. I said, look. It would have been tough on your family. You would have been traveling day in, day out. And then he says, well, I could have brought him to spring training in Florida and all that, but easier said than done because the kids are in school. Yeah, it's it's sacrifices traveling. But, Mac, keep this in mind. Unlike us who do this show year-round, their sports are seasonal in a way. So if you think of any broadcaster for a team, it's not a full-time thing. 
and you got to adjust on your job. I, I saw Tony Page, who was on WFAN, the night, he had the night shift for like close to 20 years, like uh, midnight to six in the morning or so. And he had to make those adjustments for his family. Could sure. you imagine that when everyone's asleep, he's at work. When they're up, he's got to catch a little shut eye, you know, himself. Sure. You make it with the money that these guys are getting, Mac. It, it, I don't think the families are complaining a lot of times because they could provide them a much better life. Also, a lot of these broadcasters, they're kind of junkies like you and I. They like to be in on the action. They like the idea of the status. They like being in the in on the team. They like, you know, maybe doing the games. They like being stopped and being identified with the team and having kind of that position that's why so many broadcasters uh, and even athletes or whatever, they don't retire when they can, even the older guys, because, you know, they like, once you give up that position, it's never the same. Like, let's say you're a baseball broadcaster, you've been with the team, let's say even 30 years broadcasting, and then you're retired, and then you come to spring training to see everyone it's not quite the same. It's as if you're like a former player. Yeah. You know, the former players never feel the same way when they come back to see the team. Right. Because even though they were part of the team, they're no longer part of the team. You know, yeah. you feel that little detachment. And does it affect the family? Yeah, everyone is different. Some players slash broadcasters, they retire earlier, you know, because the time with their family the time they, they've missed their family being away, it, you know, it takes a toll on them. They kind of want to be home after a while. It bothers them that their kids are growing up without them. Yeah. You know, but everyone's situation's <laughs> different, Mac. Everyone is different. And can I just say one thing? Ahead, Tom Brady. Tom, I, I said more than one thing. You've been patient letting me say that. <laughs> I was just going to bring that I, up. Go ahead, Jack. I can't, I'm not as patient as you, Mac. Kudos to you. You have, you, uh, you be, you uh, totally swamped me, beat me as far as patience go. That'll never be in debate. But Tom Brady, he's the big focal point now, Mac. And you tell me with Brady, your opinion, he's taking this year off, but next year he's going to be broadcasting. Some people feel he's not going to do it because of time away from his family in the NFL season. You got to be there Thursday for Sunday game. The crew should be there Thursday and then going over stuff. You got to arrive Thursday. So that means he's going to be away from his kids. You know, Thursday, he's got to leave. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Maybe he flies back after the game Sunday, maybe leaves Monday morning. But during this season, it's, that's going to be a, a, ch a chunk of time away. And they yeah. say him, he, you know, he's really invested in his kids. He might not do it because of that. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a chance he won't. I mean, Tom Brady's got enough money, I would think, to last a lifetime. He doesn't have to do that. But they do want to do something. You know, they do. I mean, once you get back with your family, you have that one, you know, that one year back. I, I think the itch gets back to you. You, you want to you wanna do something besides – you know, be retired, uh, you know, and it's interesting that um, uh, that people like Troy Aikman, they'll show up the, the day of the game. He won't even go 
you know, Thursday and prep with everybody else. He shows up the day of the game and he's ready to rock where the other ones don't. I mean, I, you know, I made sacrifices, Jack, I'm sure you did, um, where, you know, I worked so many jobs, three jobs. So, you know, I, my kids could, uh, you know, could eat and have a nice place to live. I worked overnights too, third shift and had to adjust to that. The kids had to adjust to that. So I, I think when you're young, you make these sacrifices. And as you get older, then you start thinking about things, right? Jack? I mean, you start thinking about your family and, you know, uh, the time you missed with your son and that. And I think it's a, it's a chance. I think there's a chance and maybe the reason why, um, you know, kids get in trouble because their parents aren't around, you know, they get involved in certain things that maybe if dad or dad or mom were around, they wouldn't get involved. in. so it is, it is a big thing. It, it is a hard thing to, to, uh, to decide. And the younger, the better, because the kids aren't doing anything. And as they get older, of course, you want to go to their game. <laughs> You want to go to your school events and stuff. So. Well, our own Jim Jeffco talks about his coaches, like Jimmy Johnson, for example. Jimmy Johnson, you know, and he admits it. He said so in his Hall of Fame speech. He never went to watch his kids play football. Yeah. His kids played football. He was too busy with practice. And the guy who replaced him, you know, Barry Switzer, once left his practice a little early one game to see his kids play, you know, his son playing a football game. And Jimmy Johnson criticized him. And Barry Switzer gave Jimmy Johnson a dig. He says, well, Jimmy always said football was more important than his family. Now, you want to know something? It was to Jimmy Johnson at the time. Jimmy Johnson regrets it today. To his credit, Jimmy Johnson said during his Hall of Fame speech, no, I never saw my kids play football. I should have. That was just plain out wrong. His sons were there when he said it. And he really, and looking back with Jimmy, if Jimmy Johnson, I wonder if they said to him, you could sacrifice one of your two Super Bowl winning seasons to see your kids constantly play football. Would he do that at this point? You know, like it's certain priorities at the time. But you want to know something, Mac? That's revisionist thinking. And I don't like it also, even though I'm mentioning it. Because when you're locked into doing a job the right way, and you're all in on doing the job, sometimes you got to have tunnel vision, basically. Be so focused on what you're doing, you're not going to allow any distractions to take place. I remember that movie, Miracle. I don't know. Herb Brooks, the coach's wife, says, you're, it's your chance to pick up the kids today from school. And he says, no, honey, I'm busy with practice. And they're, like, arguing. It's oh, Yeah, yeah. Coming. Uh, from Scotland, he says, the sad thing is it's all about teams, money, and all sports, which is true. I don't much, watch much baseball, support the Rangers and the New York City Rangers soccer. But look at the rebuild. We are in the process. Got from fourth division to championship league. Now the money's coming in. Placement of the board and dropping at least 10 players. If you can't play for the shirt, jog on. Paying wages for bench warmers next season will be massive. So, even in a even in a soccer world, Jack, I mean, you know, you got these players that are good and the players that uh, that they're paying that are, you know, basically on a bench, sort of like an Aaron Judge, and then you know, and that. So I guess it's everywhere around the world. The world of, of sports are basically the same. Yeah, certain salaries, and and you see that in soccer worldwide. One of the big names, big stars, 
you know, a signing with a team elsewhere. Like, you know, years ago, David Becker made a big buzz. He's coming to the United States here. And it would change the culture of soccer, you know, in this area, supposedly. And I I think we're living in a day and age of personalities, okay? You get these, like, YouTube stars, like who the young people like, uh, and they could create a little bit of a buzz and maybe the other players of the whole sport could be on their coattails. The next question is about the next quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, People that have been around football long enough know that the Packers weren't always a great team. They had some really bad years. Bart Starr was a coach, and um, they were bad. Um, after that, I, I, I try to remember the quarterback that was on there and, and their running back, but they, they definitely went through. They haven't been bad for a while, Mac. They've been good for a lot of years. True. That's what I'm saying. They've been spoiled. That's, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you can, if you've been around long enough, you'll know teams go through bad spells. It's just the way it is. Mac, the Packers are spoiled at quarterback from Brett Ford to Aaron Rodgers. You tell me, Mac. You tell me what other team has had as lengthy a – I don't think you can because I can't answer this exactly uh, – has had as successful a transition of iconic quarterbacks, one iconic quarterback to another long-term as a Packers. Now, you might say the Niners, Montana to Steve Young, but that didn't last, I believe, as long – as lengthy as Brett Vaughn, Aaron Rodgers combined. Think of that. Two legendary quarterbacks back-to-back. Vaughn, Rodgers are two all-time greats. Yeah. Vaughn and Rodgers back-to-back all those years. Maybe, close maybe, to, what, maybe, about 35 years or so in a row? True. Maybe LaMonica to Kenny Stabler might be close. Might be not, close. Not as good. Not as yeah. good as Vaughn and Rodgers combined. Um, no, not 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 I nearly. Think, yeah, not nearly as good. I, you know, I, well, Jordan Love to me, Jack, and this is my opinion, will be an average quarterback. He's not gonna he's not gonna be a franchise quarterback. I don't think uh, if they depend on Jordan Love to win a Super Bowl, I don't think that's happening. I think after the three years, they end up either uh, you know drafting or getting a, a great quarterback uh, f- free agent. And he becomes a second stringer, or they trade him. Um, you know, Jordan. I, I, we haven't really seen Jordan Love, but what I have seen about him is he's okay. And in college, he was, he was, he was pretty good. But I don't think he's uh, going to be a franchise quarterback, Jack. Somebody that's going to lead the Packers uh, to the Super Bowl. So you know, right now they need a quarterback. Jordan Love's been around, and he's, he's there. But I really don't think he's going to be the answer for Green Bay Packers. I defer to you, Mac, when it comes to quarterback talent. But with Jordan Love, can we really tell? I mean, we don't know. He's been there three years, okay? He wasn't going to crack the lineup. On the normal conditions, when you move up to the first round and draft the quarterback, the clock is ticking on your incumbent quarterback. But this was a rarity because the incumbent quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, and he, you know, and he was playing still at a very high level. So right. Jordan Love wasn't going to crack the lineup until Aaron Rodgers started slipping. And you want to know something is Aaron Rodgers, 
ended last year with the Green Bay Packers and said he's really upset with his performance this year. He's coming to training camp early next year. He, we're going to rebound. The job would still be his. The yeah. Packers weren't going to move on from him because Aaron Rodgers showed a degree of indifference for a while. They finally decided the Packers, we can't take this drama anymore. It's time to finally move on. We've got to move on. Yeah. And they're giving Jordan Love an opportunity. They're not sure with Jordan Love whether he's going to work out or not. They're hopeful. They're just not sure. That's why they signed him to a one-year deal. Uh, and they didn't give him big guaranteed money, $13.5 million. Right. And he could make $22 million if he plays the whole year. could be bumped up to that. And then they, and then they could sign him to a long-term deal after that. But they see him in practice every day, Mac. We don't. Yeah. So I think they can gauge that potential. Yeah, you, you can. You can, but practice sure ain't the same as games. And I, I know he got a three-year extension. That should give him enough time, I think. No, yeah, he didn't. He got one year. One year. He didn't get a three-year extension. I'm not sure. But, okay, we'll say, we'll say you're right. But If um, you're right, it wasn't guaranteed. No, no. If you were right, why would he sign a non-guaranteed deal? That doesn't make <clears> sense. I think they guaranteed him 13.5. Yeah, it was a one-year deal. One right, year, right, what I right, understood. Right. Yeah. Rick brings up a point that, that a lot of people have, have said. You know, you know, Rodgers is so great. He's only won one Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Brett Favre only won one Super Bowl. Sport, guys, Dan Marino won no Super Bowls. He only went to one Super Bowl. And you're going to tell me, Rick, that Dan Marino is not an all-time great quarterback? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, if you count winning records and going to the playoffs, you know, year after year championships, I mean – you know, I mean, this is what people look at Super Bowls, Jack. They look at Super Bowls and they look at, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. And that they focus on that. Um, you know, just to get to the Super Bowl, Jim Jeffco said, how, do you realize how hard it is just to get to the Super Bowl? Never mind, you know, never mind yeah. going there a couple times. So, you know, but they do look at that. And I understand why Rick says that. You know, that's what people look at. Well, you know, you talk about the great young quarterbacks, in the sport today. Okay, Patrick Mahomes has went to three, has won two. He's always going to have that. If he doesn't go to another Super Bowl ever, you know, he's a two-time Super Bowl winner, three-time participant. So he's sure. got it made. The pressure's off him. But Joe Burrow went to one. They lost. So he hasn't won one. Justin Herbert hasn't gone to one. Jalen Hurts went to one. They lost it. So don't these guys have to win it at some point, you'd think? And they might, they might not. And, you know, it depends on the circumstances. Matthew Stafford was with the Lions all those years. And the only reason he won one is because he got traded eventually and got to exhibit his talent, you know, on the big stage with a great defense. And uh, sure. sure. Yeah. And, and, and you bring up uh, Matt Stafford, and that's going to be, Almost part of the next question, at least uh, I'll reference it. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't win a Super Bowl uh, in three years, did the Packers get the better end of the deal, Jack? We don't know. I mean, what are the Packers doing with the draft choices? And I don't know is this is type of thing we're going to look back that anyone got the best of the deal. Uh, eventually, Jordan Love was going to have to play. 
eventually, unless Aaron Rodgers was going to continue a few more seasons with Green Bay and play at a high level. You know, some deals, you, you, you just can't tell. It's not like cut and dry who got the better the deal, who didn't get the better the deal. Uh, I just don't know the answer. Like Wayne Gretzky, uh, he goes to the L.A. Kings, okay? At the Edmonton Oilers, trade him to the L.A. Kings. L.A. Kings never won a Stanley Cup with Wayne Gretzky there. So we're saying Edmonton got the better the deal. L.A. didn't. Uh, Wayne Gretzky created a tremendous buzz in Los Angeles. Hockey became the in-place to go to. Movie stars would show up. Everyone loved the L.A. Kings when Gretzky was there. So in that sense, yeah, it was great for the L.A. Kings that he went there, even though they never won a Stanley Cup. The idea that Aaron Rodgers is here, and if he can create a ton of excitement the next couple of years, who's to say the Jets, it wasn't a good deal for the Jets? Let's say they're in the playoffs, they get eliminated. Everyone nationwide loves the Jets now, not as a fan, to watch them, to tune in. The Jets are the hot news. I mean, they're front page sports <clears throat> news all over, not just lo locally in New York, but all over. That's true, and that's all well and good. But you still, you still traded, or yeah, traded for Rodgers to win a Super Bowl. That's the objective of getting Aaron Rodgers. You're going to pay him what is it, a hundred million dollars next year, or whatever it is, for him to be your quarterback. You know, this is why what did they give to him. That's the question. Well, they, they gave up a first round pick. They gave up uh, a sec. What was it? A, a, a second round pick, Jack, this well, year? What they did, what they did, they flip flopped their 13th and their 15th first round selection. So their 13th round selection would have been the offensive lineman that the Pittsburgh Steelers took. No offensive lineman to their likings were then available. So what they did was draft an edge rusher, Will McDonald. Let's say McDonald turns out to be a great player. That would have been wind up being a blessing in disguise. Sure. Let's say yeah. it turns out to be a perennial all-pro. What are you going to say then? And, and what they did was give up a, a second-round pick this year. We'll see how that player turns out to be for the Packers. And they also gave up a pick next year, which is either going to be a second rounder or first rounder, depending on how much Rodgers plays. Uh, so we, didn't, they, we didn't, they give up, didn't they give up a pick in 2024 too? I think they – no, no, no. They flip-flopped a fifth and sixth round pick. So the Jets came out better. They got the Packers' fifth round pick and gave – the Packers, their sixth-round pick. Okay. Uh, you know, certain deals. The Russell Wilson deal that uh, the Broncos made with the Seahawks has benefited the Seahawks tremendously. Right. When you right. look at what they drafted, tremendously. But what happens if Denver goes to a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson at some point? Can we then say it wasn't worth it for Denver to make that type of deal? You know, that, right now it seems to be an awful deal for Denver. Well, right that now. all depends. That all depends if Seattle goes to a Super Bowl too. I would imagine if Seattle goes to the Super Bowl because of all those draft picks, it's a good deal for Seattle no matter what. Right now, yeah. for them, it's no matter what. But from Denver's perspective, yeah.
Let, let's see how it ultimately winds up. It could wind up being a terrible deal, which it looks like a bad deal right now. But let's see whether Russell Wilson bounces back, whether the Broncos are really good, whether he's elevating that team. Yeah. And and this is the Matt Re- Stafford reference I was telling you about. You know, all the, the Lions got all those picks. It affected them last year. It made them a better team last year. Um, but – Stafford did take him to a Super Bowl. And I know you think that's won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you you think that's worth it? I'm not sure. Oh, oh absolutely, yes. absolutely. L.A. It, it was more than worth it. More yes. than worth it. Giving up a couple of number ones. You were the Super Bowl. I'm going to tell you, Mac. If you tell me if you're the Jets, for example, and you could tell me right now, Jack, I'm going to cut you a deal. You win, you're going to win the Super Bowl this year, this year, but you have to give up the next six years' number one draft picks, next six years, all your number ones, the next six years. I make the deal like that. I, you know, you know I, don't tempt me by saying the next 10 years because if you know, then I'm kind of, you know, 10 years, but I still might make it. If you win a Super Bowl, Matt, come on. It's worth it. You, know, you know, yeah, if you win the Super Bowl with Stafford. If you did, win it, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you look at the Herschel Walker trade, which is the, the, the trademark for those trades where Minnesota yeah. thought all, all they needed was Herschel Walker, a great running back to win, and end up giving all, uh, Dallas all those trash draft picks so that they could, you know, win three Super Bowls. So, I mean, that was a terrible trade. But, it, you know, I don't know. I don't, that was drafted yeah. well. That was yes. part of it, too. It's very just, true. Very true. Viking fans for 50 years. There you go. Right. Right. Good question for Rick to answer. If you're the Vikings and you're told you could win the Super Bowl next year, but for the next 10 years, you have to give up your number one draft picks, forfeit them the next 10 years, would you do it? And I think Rick would do it. I might, I might do it myself. 10 yeah. years is a heck of a long time. Well, you know about a lot of well, maybe You could maybe win it without giving up the picks, but now you're taking a chance as opposed yeah. to a guarantee. Well, you know about waiting for a Super Bowl, Jack. That's for sure. Yeah. So anyway. So let's turn well, to at the least, At least we won one. The Vikings haven't won any. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So let's talk about something that was in the news, and it's about uh, uh, the Ford for uh, the Grizzlies, uh, Dylan Brooks. Um, You know – he he, Jack. You said he was a clown. He was irritating, uh, trying to get in LeBron's head. LeBron just took him to school. Um, you know, he 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 didn't go to press conferences. He was a big, uh, you know, pretty much a big baby about everything. Um, the team doesn't want him back, Jack. The team has gone out publicly and said so. Said they would do anything uh, possible not to bring him back. Which I really don't know what that means. To me, it means they don't want him back. Thing that bothers me about this whole thing is that if the team you're with says they don't want you, how is that going to affect the other teams in the league and, and whether they bring you on? And I think it messes with his opportunity to make a dollar, if you will. Um, you know, if if and we talked about this again before the show, if you say this personally. You know, with him and with everybody in management, every I get it. But once you go outside in public and say that, you can't take it back. And I think the NBA 
Silver should get involved somewhat and have them walk it back, issue an apology. We were wrong to go public with this. We shouldn't have said this. Good luck to you. I hope you make it with another team. Something like that, Jack. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, no thoughts on that. No one did anything wrong. I mean, they didn't hold a press conference. They didn't trash him. They may have said, like, he's not coming back on any circumstances. Maybe they didn't even use that language. Maybe that was something that was picked up by the media. Uh, Dylan Brooks was defiant. There was a an internal behavior issue because he broke a league rule. The players are required to attend the press conference after the game. They're required to meet the media. He blew that off. He brought this on. You can't show up, trash other players the way he has, and, and then show that lack of, you know, and then you lose and you just decide I'm not being there. I don't feel like talking to you guys, yeah. even though it's a rule, even though it's a requirement. That's you're right. required, Mac. If That's you're required right. to show, listen, your boss requires you to show up, not that we're dressed that way, to show up to work wearing a tie. And you can, I don't feel like wearing a tie. I'm not wearing a tie because I don't feel like it. That's you know, reason people, enough to kick your boss off. You know, some people might not. They don't want. They don't want him back. It's not going to hurt his value. Well, I'm going to tell you. It depends. It depends on who the employee is. As as much as it depends on who the NBA player is, is that's not wearing the tie, Jack. If Kevin Durant isn't wearing a tie, you're not going to. You're not going to give him a hard time, right? I mean, that's okay. Uh, oh, I'll take my tie off, and if I have one, and give it to him. There you go. But the thing is, Dylan Brooks is going to catch on with another team for sure. Someone's going to pick him up. Look, you pick up these guys like the Patrick Beverleys, the big loudmouth players, you know, who just, you know, they talk better than they play. Dylan Brooks is a okay player. He's not a bad player. He's a decent player. I mean, not. he's not an all-star caliber player at all. He's not even close to the guy's who he puts down. I understand it's his method trying to get inside their head. The problem with Dylan Brooks, he's getting inside his own head. He played atrociously against the Lakers at times because he was so con he concentrated so much on trying to get inside LeBron's head. He wasn't focusing on his own game. He was still in the clown. You got to put a clown's outfit on the guy and people look at, other players look at Dylan Brooks. They laugh at him, actually. They laugh at him. They, you don't think they see him walk by the players on the Lakers. They don't say anything to him. They just laugh. You know, they chuckle to one another because he's, you know, he's a funny guy. You know, he's a funny guy because you do a little stand-up comedy, doesn't face the media in the post-fight, at the post-game press conference. He deserves any ridicule. It was a cowardly move not showing up at the post-game press conference. He should show up there, man up, talk, explain what went down, try to be humble afterwards, congratulate the Lakers. You got to give them their due. We're disappointed this didn't turn out the way it did. You, if you're no more than a little better than average player, and I'm willing to give Dylan Brooks that, Max, say he's a little better than average, okay? Right. And nothing's the matter with that. That makes him a decent player. But you can't show up to the post-game press conference after making all that noise beforehand. Come you know, on. Like, 
You know where I think I'd be disgusted. If I were the team, I was the owner, I would be disgusted. I would let my GM know, look, we got to go in another direction. I, I don't want him back. You know where I think Dylan Brooks messed up with his with his uh, his plan there with the Lakers. I think he went after the wrong guy. You're not going to rattle LeBron James. That's just crazy. Maybe you could have rattled, rattled Anthony Davis. Maybe you could have rattled one of the other players on the other starters on the Lakers. You know, if you got inside Davis's head and you got him in a fight, you know, he gets ejected from the game. I could see him doing that. That might have worked. You're not going to. LeBron's been in the league too long. He's heard way too much stuff, Jack. Yeah, you know who was a bit of a clown too? Not during the last series, Jay Morant early in the year. I mean, a complete. You know, a clown in a way at times, Jay Morant. He would be acting the same way Dylan Brooks, but then he got into some trouble. And it seems like Jay Morant maybe has been humbled. Maybe he's scared straight now. And if yeah, that's I, the case, good for Jay Morant because yeah. he's a heck of a, a player. How about yeah. LaBaby? What's LaBaby? Who's LaBaby? Maybe that's LeBron not shaking his I don't head. know. Is it, is it <laughs> not sh- Why should he shake hands? Listen, I don't know. What the handshaking was after that series, whether they shook hands, didn't shake hands. But sometimes if a player ridicules you, you know, and shows a complete lack of sportsmanship, you shouldn't feel obligated to shake his hand after the game. You know, just walk away. This guy has been taunting me. This wait, a minute, been- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jack. You just said that Dylan Brooks should have went on a podium he should have. Uh, he should have done a lot of stuff. Shouldn't LeBron have to? You shouldn't LeBron shake the guy's hand after you know win or lose. Be the bigger man. Oh no no no! If Dylan Brooks went over to LeBron, he went congratulations. He did. He LeBron. He did afterwards. No, he tried to. LeBron just. Yeah. Well, shoot. listen. After the game, if a guy is trying to trash you all the time. You're not in the mood sometimes to shake his hands. I don't understand society. If someone is treating you some way, Mac, your place of work, you mm-hmm. have a boss that is ridiculing you. Not a boss, a coworker, someone you're right. working with. They're ridiculing you. They're this, they're that. They're like rude. They, they try every way. You can't stand them because of the way they're acting. And it's one-sided mm-hmm. from them. And then they're leaving to go to another job. And they say, oh, best of luck, Mac, to shake their hand. You'd probably say bleep off to them. Yeah, you probably shake my hand and turn your back on them. Don't stick out your hand. I'm glad you're, you're out of here. Come on. I just think LeBron would have made a huge point if he did that. He would have said. I don't crazy. remember that. I'm not saying it didn't happen, Mac. Yeah. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just didn't see it. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal to me. I know. The famous lack of handshake, you talk about the Pistons with the Bulls, the way the Pistons walked off the court. But that wasn't the reason Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the dream team. It was Isaiah Thomas's whole big body of work as a miserable personality who the other players couldn't stand. And that's why the selection committee didn't put Isaiah Thomas on that team. Michael Jordan never reached out and said, well, if Isaiah's on, I'm not going to play. That never happened. They called Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan said, who's on the team? Which he has a right to ask who's on the team when they're asking him. 
And they said to him, the person who you're thinking of isn't on the team. Right. And he didn't comment on it. That was good enough. No one, you know, Magic Johnson was the one who really didn't want Isaiah on that team. Carl Malone couldn't stand him. Larry Bird didn't like him. Scottie Pippen hated him. Mm-hmm. It was a whole big thing. And you're going to have Isaiah's smiling face on the dream team, meeting yeah. the media. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about team well, chemistry. Well, you know, Matt. again, you know, Isaiah Thomas was, was his, at that time was maybe the best point guard in the league. and that's what No, no not at that time. He'd been injured. His game was oh, down, a little under the line. It really was. Okay. okay. All right. Fair enough. So we're going to pick up. As a player, Isaiah Thomas deserved a spot on that team based on his playing performance and his career without a doubt. But the problem is it's you put together a team. And if there's just one guy, people don't can't stand Mac. You get a 12 guys going out to dinner. And someone wants to invite one guy that half of the 12 guys can't stand. Chances right. are he's not going to be there because then the other six are completely put off by it. Well, you're probably right. We're going to take a quick promotion break, folks. After the uh, after the promotion break should lead up to having Jason Gonzalez uh, live from the Kentucky Derby. At least Louis the Courier-Journal reporter. Right. He's and, reporting and, on it. Yeah, and we'll have a lot of questions for him because I really don't know a lot about uh, horse racing except you bet on it a lot. But uh, I know a few things about the Kentucky Derby, and we'll talk about that. So, folks, we'll be right back after these promotional uh, this uh, promotional spots. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. He was a giant. And he was a cowboy. Now these two former rivals have joined forces to bring you the most insightful, perceptive, and controversial sports talk podcast in America. Former Dallas Cowboys defensive end Jim Jeffcoat locks horns with former New York Giants wide receiver Byron Williams. And now, here's Byron Williams and Jim Jeffcoat. It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news. Hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan. A couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan. Get ready to start spreading the news. Right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate. All right, I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate. Oh, I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn! Hey, isn't he? This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports.
Yes, it is, folks. It's me and Jack Hirsch on the Saturday Debate Show. Uh, we have the Kentucky Derby coming up. Uh, a reporter, Jason Gonzalez, uh, he'll be talking about the Kentucky Derby. And as I said before, don't know a lot about horse racing, Jack. My uh, great uncle bet on horses constantly and uh, led to his his family, his merge demise anyways. And, uh, you know, he was either, the, my, my father said he was either in a brand new suit one day and the next day he was just in, he was just in uh, terrible clothes. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a sickness. I shouldn't make fun of it, but uh, it, it is, uh, it is one of the biggest, biggest days in sports, Jack. Mac, you're killing some time. Now, where's Jason Gonzalez? That's what I want to know. Well, I don't want to hear you kill some time he's, now. He's, I mean, well, you're trying to your, kill the listen. clock like we have a big lead. and we, we, we he's, still... your, he's your guest, Jack. You tell me where it is. Well, what's happening, Mac? He knows he's guest to be on. You tell me. Yeah, he's your guest. So, I mean, I'm not responsible for uh, for your guest coming on or not. You gave me the, the email. I sent him the, the uh the uh, email and he hasn't uh, showed up yet. So, so Let, I, I got to send him a quick uh, message, a quick go. text here. There you go. Right this moment, I'm going to send it out to Jason. Maybe, maybe he's maybe he's breaking a big story. Who knows, Jack? But as I was saying, uh, this is where everybody dresses up in the old costumes. The ladies wear the hats, the long gowns. The gentlemen wear their ties and their their uh, their hats and smoke cigars and they drink uh, before the race and the yeah Kentucky bourbon that's right they do drink Kentucky bourbon out there so yeah. um, it's a big event uh, I know a couple of people that went there the the prices for the tickets are are tremendous for good seats and it's a party Jack it's a huge party so I mean are you going to watch a Kentucky Derby if I'm around at that moment I'm not I'm not making it a point to watch it it's fun i mean all the uh free free race stuff okay it's uh i'm taking a look oh listen to this jason got back me i don't have the instructions he put down in the text uh, message I sent, I sent him I, I, and it's not our producer because she does a heck of a good job mac you filed something I, up here I he's sent waiting on it i sent him the instructions in the first email is he getting them now or what? And a link. Let's see. I'll put that link to the link. I can resign. I can resign. Send them to him. No problem. So, yes, this is great, great, uh, great sports show stuff. Look here. for the link. So let me. I just send it out. I know how to. I know how to check. I know how to do this. <laughs> All right. Oh, Lord. Yes, sense. Let's see where is he? Uh, thank you. I I said I know how to do this. So. They, they, people get getting a look at right. behind the scenes uh, things Tomorrow, we do. Tomorrow's appearance. There it is. Okay, it sends the instructions. So I will send it to him again, Jack. One second here. Put down. Look for the link. Forward. There you go. I'll forward it to him again. And send. There you go. So I forwarded it back to him, Jack. Hopefully he gets it, and he'll be on in a minute. So while we're waiting, Jack, let's 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 do the next topic. 
Uh, Stephen Curry, is he the best player today in the NBA? Uh, no. Thank you. Thank you. No. I mean, he's the best shooter. I mean, can you put him ahead of Jokic, for example? I, I would think not in the West. Durant. I mean, I'll, uh, Durant's been injured on and off. You know, right. Steph Curry, you could argue, is going to give you more than Durant will because he'll be in more. You know, Steph Curry reminds me of Garrett Cole in baseball pitching with the Yankees. He's always going to be there for you. You know, other guys are going, other pitchers are going to be a little better, like a Jacob DeGrom, but he's not always going to be able to take the mound. Uh, but basketball-wise, Steph Curry, you could argue the greatest shoot in the history of the NBA if you want. That's right. arguable, but you can make a good case from certainly. And he comes up with some remarkable games. Can you argue whether he's passed LeBron not? Or not, and yeah, is he better than Anthony Davis? You can argue that this year. He's putting down Jason Gonzalez again. Did you did you send it back to the right email? Yes, Jack. Not to the Gannett papers, the other one. No, well, Jason Gonzalez. That's when I sent it to. So I don't know. I don't know. I tell him, check. Tell him, tell him, check. Text me Jason's email that she sent it to. Tell him, check the email. I sent it to you too. You were, you were, you were, you were. uh, No, no, but it's different. I get it. He also changed his email, Mac. Let's see here. We we have a heck of a show. I mean, I, I think we yeah, blew a twenty four point lead. This is this is great. We're like a team with a twenty four point lead, and now uh, we're down by two, Mac. Yeah. So I the link's there for them uh, to come. Um, I don't know. I'll forward it to you again and forward it to him. Yeah, again, don't forward it to me, Mac. I'm on the show already. I don't need to see. Well, it. I mean, I mean, you told me to forward it to your email. So I forwarded well, not it. to my that's email. It doesn't. I'm not going. Okay, Mac. Let's oh, continue the show as if Jason won't be on it. That's all. I, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. So back to Steph Curry. Um, I don't think he's even close to being the best player in the league. You, get, you know. Uh, you've got the Greek freak, uh, you've got, uh, you know, Embiid, and you said Jokic, uh, Curry, no doubt, great shooter, not so good on defense most times. So if you could, if, if you're going to talk overall player, definitely not even close uh, to the best player in the NBA. Oh, no, um, no, you can't say he's not close, Matt, because yeah, Steph Curry is yeah. one of the great forces. You can conceivably make an argument that he is the best player in the NBA. I mean, but if you give me a choice, you know, one season him a Jokic who I'd want, Jokic I would take, Steph Curry at Joel Embiid. I'd like the big guy. That's just me. I like the big guys. All factors equal. I absolutely like the big guys because they could do it from the – they can do it from the inside or the outside. Me too. They can do it from both. 
Me too. Um, okay, Jason has nothing. I don't think this is working. All right, there you go. Okay, I, I listen, but it should not. If it was sent to the Gannett papers, that's the wrong email. He has another email. Yeah, that's the only. That's the, what you gave us is the only one we got, Jack. That's the only email I got. So that's it. Anyway, Jack. Good. All right. So let's go to. Uh, we're still in the NBA. Can Anthony Davis save the Lakers from losing the series to the Warriors, Jack? Can Anthony Davis? Uh, no. Okay. He's uh, in, in himself. He's not going to do it day in, day out, Anthony Davis. He's not going to, you know, duplicate what he did in game one, you know, on a more than a couple of more games. You know, if he does it two more games, has a monster game like the 30 points and 23 rebounds that he had in game one, and they can win both those games, yeah, sure, the other guys could step up, bench players, you know, like Reeves, uh, Russ, D'Angelo Russell, and they can, you know, win a game outright without Anthony Davis having a big game. But uh, it's going to be a monster chore. But if yeah, if he has two big games the way he had in game one, and they only win one of those two games, where are they going to get the other two wins from? I know there's the X factor, LeBron stepping up. LeBron can certainly be the LeBron of old on any given game. He certainly can, and he has been throughout the year at times. But it's a tough series to win because I think the 49ers are peaking. You know, having Andrew Wiggins back, Jordan Poole can show more consistency. You know, Clay Thompson a lot of times is a hit-and-miss type player. But when Clay Thompson's on, he's, you know, as good as he's ever been. But the problem is, you know, he's not this, quite the same player he was before, so he's going to have some games that are going to be clunkers too. I'm, I like Golden State in the series. They're one apiece. I don't think it's going to go seven games. I like Golden State in six. But they're back in L.A. for the next two games, and we'll see. I mean, if the Lakers win the next two games in a commanding position, but I don't think that's going to happen. I like Davis. I like Davis for his his – what he can do under the basket, Jack. I think he's got to place his defense more than his offense. Uh, rebounds, block shots. You know, let the other let the other guys shoot. He, you know, he can have a great game. He can have one great game, as you said, even lose. <clears throat> so I really, I, I think if he concentrates, sort of like Bill Russell did, concentrate on the defense. Let the rest of the team uh, uh, make the shots, run the floor. Um, you stay under that basket rebound, block them, trying to make penetration, and make them beat you outside. Some games they get hot, some games they don't. So I, I I think he should go from Will Chamberlain to Bill Russell for the rest of the series, and the Lakers got a really good Well, shot. they need Davis to score. Yeah. I mean, they need him to score. They, You know, he's their inside game, basically. I know yeah. LeBron drives to the basket, and that's his specialty. That's when he's truly a force, but they need – Anthony Davis underneath to be the big dominating presence. Yeah. I mean, Raymond Green, Green isn't a scorer for Golden State, but he'll do the dirty work right. under the basket there. But uh, Anthony Davis truly is an offensive force, and if they have to concentrate on stopping him, 
it opens up things for the other Lakers, you know, shooting on the outside. Agree, agree. Boxing Jack. Dave, uh, Tank Davis, he ended up not doing any uh, jail time. Able to walk out, court free, the female judge, uh, you know, let him go. Uh, he didn't pay, he didn't pay for, for, for his crime. Well, that- no, no, no. well, there was a penalty. He didn't just, wasn't let go, but it wasn't nearly as harsh as it could have been. I'll break down what the penalty basically was. Uh, he had, he, I got, I, I got to shut down these text messages from Jason. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a show. He's Jason's being, I could understand. Can it be resent? One last time, just resend it to Jason. We just did. That's we just the did. end of it. The producer, just, the, pro- the producer just sent it, so we should have it. No. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Wait, wait, wait. No more messages from you. Please. I. So I was going to ask you, Jack. I know you, you're going to break down the the. Uh, the I'm uh, going to answer you. I wait, wait, wait. I am no there more. Uh, I think we got Jason uh, Gonzalez here right now. You have. Yes. And we got the wrong Jason Gonzalez too. And I think. You have the wrong Jason Gonzalez. Maybe no. I got PSI. Let me see. Wait, well, don't don't go give his email on the air. No, I said it's P. I'm not. I'm not. Let me see here. That Pags is in. Uh, how you doing, Pags? Pags in. Okay, let me you forget Jason. And there how you doing, Jason? Okay. Good. Jason, Good morning, gentlemen. You were starting to, Jason. Now you realize I'm doing this show. You were being a pain, Jason, by these constant texts. I'm doing the show with Mac. I know you're yeah. trying to break through. I can't keep answering text messages. You know we lost forty percent of our viewers with me dealing with this. <laughs> so, what? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. What's up, Pags? Of course. Good morning. Pags, How are you? Pags comes on the same time as you when we're getting a Kentucky Derby update. I got to right. tell you, Pags has no horse racing knowledge, so I don't know what you know uh, on this, but. I'm sure Pags is going to link this to when the Philadelphia Thoroughbreds were running. To him, the Philadelphia Thoroughbreds. Which one, which one are the Philadelphia Thoroughbreds? Which ones are the Philadelphia Thoroughbreds? Because you know they're going to win. Jack has no idea. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. Philadelphia yeah. Thoroughbred. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. See, Jack, I didn't Jack, even know that there are any. But uh, I, actually, I actually, the two of the three horses I picked got cracked. So we we have what what horses Pags? What horses did you pick? I was I was I I like the trifecta. Uh, I box it three ten and nineteen. Ten and nineteen are both scratched. Right. Right. Now we have Jason Gonzalez from the Louisville Courier Journal on location in Louisville. Even though you look like in your car right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm 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 in my car right now because Chad Chad is sleeping. Okay, so. yeah, they, 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 no one knows who Chad is. <laughs> boy, Chad. All right, no. all right, 
Jack, Jack, yeah. likes, Jack likes being rude. I don't know why, Jason. Jason no, we got to get to me, the point. You know, we, 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 Jack, Jack. We've been fumbling Jack, around Jack, for Jack. 15 oh minutes. My God, here, he, he, sometimes he never stops talking. Jason, let's talk a little bit about the Kentucky Derby. Talk to me. What's Jason, up, Mac? Good to see you. Good to see you too, Jason. You know, a lot of people consider these horses athletes. I remember, I think it was Secretariat one athlete of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what what do the horses actually go through training-wise to get to this point? Uh, some pretty extensive and intense workouts. Uh, it starts from the time that they're that that when they're born, uh, they come from a pretty uh, extensive pedigree where you know the 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 sires were were championship winners and whatnot and yeah uh, i mean to go as far as to call them an athlete i think we would consider that uh a person you know you would have to be uh, a person that can speak and whatnot but still at the end of the day these are some pretty remarkable animals nonetheless and you had mentioned secretariat which will more than likely go down in history as the greatest horse that, that ever competed. And for those who don't know, Jason's on location in Louisville, Kentucky. He's going to be covering the Derby today for the Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, Pax mentioned a little while ago about betting where he trifecta. Last year, big long shot won the Kentucky Derby. And do you feel that's going to lead to some crazy wild betting on underdogs this year? Long shots who realistically don't have any type of chance of winning. Well, well, what happened, Jack, what happened last year with Rich Strike, uh, that was on par with probably seeing Haley's Comet. It is a rarity. It is something that does not happen. Prior to Rich Strike, who went off as an 80-to-1 long shot, you had Donnerail, which was a 93-to-1 long shot in 1913. So we're talking about something that took well over 100 years to happen again. So, yes, I do anticipate a lot of people betting on the long shot. There isn't an 80-to-1 uh, long shot today, but you have a 44 to one, but I do think a lot of people are going to be betting on the long shot and they're going to be losing money. It's just something that just does not happen. Lightning doesn't strike twice, which is the, uh, the analogy that I like to use. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like on par with, uh, getting a six round pick in the NFL draft. Everyone thinks you're going to get another Tom Brady. It just I hear that from Matt all the time. The, right? These things are aberrations. They're, right. they're not going to happen. And I would not, I don't think uh, a long shot is going to win today and people are going to lose a lot of money. Just one more word on betting before, I, you know, the other guys are going to, what they have to ask you. Uh, most people who bet, do they bet based on knowledge of the horse? So they, they just bet on a name, a feeling. They see a name of a horse and they identify that'll be their good luck thing. Uh, you, uh, I mean, the people that I've come across, some of them were some pretty knowledgeable handicappers. Some of them had, you know, their own system where they would go off of a name or they'd go off of the number the the post position that that they're running out of but yeah i mean at the end of the day it's all the luck of the draw 
And if luck is on your side, then, you know, congratulations <laughs> to you. Uh, you know, you're not going to really come up with one definitive answer where you're going to have, um, you know, this decisive plan as to what the outcome is going to be. We don't know what the future is. So whatever works for the person that's going to bet at the at the window, you know, uh, we wish them the best. So I have a question for you. Uh, I noticed in this race, there seemed to be a number of horses from Japan. And my, my question is, is that what type of travel considerations have to be made for that horse to be able, because I guess you can't fly the horse over here. Or maybe you can. I don't even know that. No, you um, can you no, you can most definitely fly the horses here and it costs a lot of money but the the planes that the horses are flown in have special accommodations for them you know they they're going to have their, they're going to have their food they're going to have their their water so they're not dehydrated they'll have ample space where they can stand up lay down and go to sleep and to mention uh the horses, one of the horses that came from Japan, Continuar, which was running out of the 20th slot, uh, got scratched. Got him. And the other horse, by way of by way of Japan, through the United Arab Emirates, is uh, Derma Sotogate, which is coming out of the 17th slot. So, I mean, the horse was born in Japan, but it was bred in Dubai. So uh, the, the horse is here. And and just one interesting point that I want to make, uh, Derma Sotagate is running out of the 17th slot in the history of the Kentucky Derby going back from 1875. There has not been wow. not a single horse to win running out of the 17th. Uh, position out the gate, wow, that's which crazy. I think is very interesting. Maybe I, I just have a, a a premonition, being that this is my first derby. I have a feeling that uh, that may change today. So, Jason, I mean, before before I get to another question, I, am I correct? Didn't Jesse Owens race a horse one time, a quick uh, uh, like a sprint? I know, I know, there was a famous track and fielder guy that. That raced against a horse mm -hmm. one time. He got a. Yes, he's got, he's got a lead. Yes, I, I, I want to say. I want to say Chad Johnson or Chad Ocho Cinco no, did that. It was, was Jesse. It, it was a long and, time ago. Hey, shame on you know, which is a good lead into the next question. But shame on society. Jesse Owens comes out of the 1936 Olympics, four gold medals, a hero. And that's how he had to make money doing some things yeah. like that, uh, running against a racehorse. I mean, pathetic shame on society. It, it, it's embarrassing, humiliating, I agree. and sickening. I agree. But speaking of that, okay, Jesse Owens is a black man there. What, you wrote a great story for the Louisville Courier Journal, Jason, on this uh, black racehorse owner. Okay, historic. I, he has a couple of horses, right? And yeah, his his name his name is Greg Harbit. Uh, he's from Lexington, Kentucky. I traveled to uh, Lexington uh, to you know to get his perspective as well as Alan and uh, Lindsey Carter's uh, you know testimony as well. Uh, what's kind of interesting with uh, with Greg Harbit, uh, he had a horse that ran in the twenty twenty Derby, and uh, that 
you know, un unfortunately, through no fault of his own, that was the pandemic derby, which ran in September. And uh, I want to say it was like a mile and like one sixteenth when in actuality, the derby is a mile and a quarter. So, it, you know, the 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 overall dynamic of the derby was different from Mr. Harbit, but he had a horse that ran in the derby, uh, Necker Island. And it was at a time where there was a lot of, you know, racial tension, you know, racial turmoil in the, you know, happening in the United States. We had just seen uh, the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, as well as the murder of Breonna Taylor. So what was unique about uh, Necker Island, uh, Necker Island had the Black Lives Matter mount on the on the saddle. So that was kind of different, uh, different in the sense where uh, you don't particularly see a lot of diversity in horse racing. It's usually a, a, a white owner, a white trainer, and for the most part, a white jockey if it's not uh, a Latino. So, Jason, back back to the horses and what actually it takes to to, to raise the horse and bring it to, to race. I, I'm, uh, this has got to cost hundreds of thousands. Uh, of dollars. I was about to say it's it's mucho dinero, yeah, a and, lot of money. And, 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 you know, from feeding it to, 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 to raising it, to the medical attention it needs to, uh, you know, to, to pairing it up with a jockey. I mean, and, and how, and, and let the people know that are listening to right now, how important is the jockey in the race? Oh, it's super, super important because, you know, you have a horse that could weigh anywhere from 1500 to 2000 pounds, uh, maxing out at about 40 to 45 miles an hour that that's kind of that's kind of fast you're going to need someone on you know someone riding it to be able to control it know when to you know when to let it go when to when to hold back yeah for for sure the jockey plays a a, a vital and critical role in what's happening in the race i i mean there's just so much that a jockey has to do in terms of uh, spatial awareness, eye-hand coordination, eye-foot coordination. If you watch on a race, the horses, they run particularly close. I mean, so close to each other. And it's like mind-boggling that they don't trip yeah. or fall. Uh, you know, that that in itself is, is pretty remarkable. But yeah, for sure, the jockey is, the, the, the jockey is extremely important. And like with, you know, as you may see in, in team sports where, uh, a, a bond, the chemistry is formed, um, you know, amongst players. You do have that between the the jockey and and the horse, where like the horse is going to recognize who's who's riding him or or her, in case it's a it's a filly and and whatnot. The commands, certain commands that a jockey may say, may yell at the horse, and the horse will respond to it, as opposed to if it's like either you or Jack you know, yelling the, the command at the horse, you know, and more than likely it's not going to respond, Jason, so, you know, great, that type of stuff. The great jockey Willie Shoemaker once said he wasn't scared of getting killed, you know, falling off the horse, but he was scared of getting paralyzed, stamped on. How fearless do these guys have to be? How much fear do these jockeys have? Do they have to shut off and have no fear at all? How effective can they be if they have a level of fear and they're holding back just a little bit? Uh, uh, you know, I think the answer is going to vary. 
Uh, I myself would say if you go into anything without any fear, uh, I think you're at a loss. Uh, I think you have to respect and be humble in everything that you do, where you do acknowledge that you are vulnerable. Um, yeah, I, I think going into it with no type of fear or anything at all could, in my opinion, yeah, you know, I would say that there would be some type of arrogance associated with that. Yeah, but, but, but Jason, doesn't the horse feel your fear? I was I was watching the show one time, and he said the horse can actually feel whether you're tense or or have fear, and will react in a certain way. So, I mean, even though you might be scared, you don't want to show the horse you're scared, correct? No, I mean, I, absolutely. At the end of the day, the jockey is the boss. Just think about it. Uh, you know, when you're walking your dog, who's doing the walking? You're walking the dog. The dog isn't walking you. No, you don't no, want no, the. Not, not with my dog, Bruiser. He walked me all those years. <laughs> you know that. Come on. Yeah. Jason's a close personal friend who I met many years ago through boxing. We're like family, you know, in that sense. But. But Jason, uh, let me ask you this. You know how the boxing community is, the horse racing community. How is the community, the sports are different, the personalities. Like Pax could tell you, dealing, you know, with basketball players, NBA players, hockey players. They're like a different breed sometimes, the different sports. Is the horse racing community snobbish in any way? Are they like the boxing community? down-to-earth, plain, simple, or what? Uh, I don't think there's anything like the boxing community, Jack. Uh, the, the boxing community, you, you can make a reality TV show based on the types of personalities that, mm -hmm. that you have there. What I will say uh, with, with horse racing, it's uh, obviously an older uh, demographic that, that cover it. I am one of the younger uh, riders uh, amongst the, you know, the, the horse racing media. I am one of the few uh, members of the horse racing media of color. Uh, it's a predominantly white, you know, uh, wh older white men that, that cover it. Uh, is there a sense of, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that, that they're snobbish. They do take the sport very seriously. And one thing I will say, some of the nonsense that you see, you know, the quote unquote distinguished members of the boxing media doing and getting away with, you're not going to see that at, at horse racing. You, like you're not going to see uh, kind of like Jack, when we covered Sergey Kovalev and Bernard Hopkins in Atlantic City, you're not going to get a, a, a horse race, a horse racing rider tell you know for example bob baffert hey i'm a big fan what can we as distinguished members of the media do to help bring horse racing back to where it was yeah, where yeah. it once was like you don't see that type of nonsense jason, um, but, but jason frank, frank lotirzo is kind of calling you to task on one of your comments here frank lotirzo is part of the glove fist with jack on uh on monday nights he's a boxing writer and 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 you know uh yeah, he says the box community down to earth and plain and simple with question marks. So he can't yeah, call well basically the, the, the point that I want to make is you're not going to see as much as the as much of the fanboy stuff that you know you see 
in in boxing or the the YouTubers that are, you know, in my opinion, no disrespect to them, are not exactly journalists. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, Jason. No, no, no. I, Jason's point is this. And, sorry, uh, sorry, Jason. That's it, that, that, Jason. I, maybe I have. But I'm going to say this. Uh, at boxing press conferences, unlike other sports, friends of the fighters crash it. Fans crash it. And they're asking these stupid questions. I don't even attend those conferences anymore because it's beneath me to even be there. It's just nonsense. And the promoters don't keep it confined to the media. And even some of the media there, they have no business even asking this nonsense. I mean, it's, I don't even want to go over it completely, but you kind of wonder, you know, different sports, it's just a, di a different culture, like overall. I mean, you get like, listen, Pax would fit in really good at the boxing press conferences, I think. What do you think, Jason? You've seen Pax on the show. Uh, well, well since, since they're talking about nonsense, I want to get back to the racing. Uh, you mentioned the name that kind of very is, uh, uh, I, I, I want to say, controversial in the racing world, Bob Baffert. And uh, I assume he is still banned as of right now. He is he is still banned across the United States. And uh yeah, he's he's in litigation right now, and we just have to wait and see on the outcome. Like um in my opinion, I think he's going to be I think he's going to be okay, and it would not shock me to see him exonerated of what he's being accused of because at the well, end of the day what he's accused of for the people who don't know out there uh he's he's accused of of improprieties and uh not doing things in the most you know in the most ethical way in other words fancy way of saying cheating because here's what's here's what's happened uh there there's only been 13 horses in the history of horse racing that have won the triple crown and two out of the 13 were Bob Baffert horses. And one of them, unfortunately, tested positive for steroids. And that was justified. Now, we know the horse doesn't have the intellectual capacity to inject themselves with steroids. Someone else had to do it. The thing is, who is it that did it? And unless you caught Bob Baffert, uh, you know, with either a hot mic or on candid camera doing it that's going to really be a tough case to prove because what about all the other horses that he's had in his stable that turned out to be okay that you know may not have won a triple crown but went on to win a, a derby or a preakness or a belmont yeah it's it's one of those things and uh kind of things came to a head uh, a couple years ago with medina spirit uh, when Medina Spirit won the 2021 Kentucky Derby and ended up failing the drug test. And, uh, you know, they had Mandeline, uh, the runner-up. Uh, they announced them as, a, as the winner of the Kentucky Derby a year later. And during that time, unfortunately, Medina Spirit just passed away. Like, the horse was in the stable, it was standing up, and then it just collapsed. And, you know, that, that was that. Jason, what about the controversy with the doctor with injecting the horses? You had done a story on that. 
Uh, in terms of euthanizing the horse yeah. uh, from Dr. William Farmer? Right, right. Well, well, well according to uh, Dr. William Farmer, for those that don't know, he's the head veterinarian at Churchill Downs. He's the one, ultimately, he's the one that makes the decision if the horse is going to run or not. And uh, over the past year uh, that I've been here in Louisville, I've gotten to know Dr. Farmer really well. And he's a no-nonsense guy. If he feels that the horse has a fever, the temperature's uh, slightly elevated, that horse is not going to run. So he's definitely, you know, safety first. Uh, you know, he believes safety is paramount. So according to what Dr. Farmer said, in terms of explaining uh, a fracture that a horse could sustain, uh, nine out of 10 times because the, the size of the horse, it is not going to be able to distribute the weight on all on the other three limbs uh, evenly. And what would end up happening is the horse is just going to continue to break his leg, break his leg, break his leg. And, you know, he says it's a very tough decision to make. And it's not just his decision as well. There's like a checks and balances where he gets the opinion of someone else, of another veterinarian to see if it's the right thing to do to euthanize the horse. And although it may seem like a cruel thing to say, um, a lot of times it is the more humane thing to do. Jason, I, I, I saw uh, on TV one time where they, they had a special a brace for the leg where they actually brought the horse. He never raced again, but all uh, brought the horse back where he could actually walk on all fours again and run a little bit. So I, I maybe that will improve as, as time goes on, uh, you know, how to, how to do it. But what I want to ask you now. And, is, and, and Matt, there have, there yeah. definitely have been some horses that they were able, obviously they're not going to run again. They right. can't race again. They have to retire them, but they have been able to save a few horses uh, here and there, but it's few and far in between. Sure. And kind of like with the case with, if you remember Bar Barbaro, uh, Barbaro fractured its leg in a race and they were able to keep the horse alive after multiple surgeries. And I mean, those, those vet bills were in the millions. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were able to keep the horse alive. And then Look at this. Ironically, the horse dies and it died from an infection, not so much from the from the fracture. So, so it, it, it's like in some cases, the the ending is like inevitable, you know. So they, they walk the horse up to, you know, get it ready to start. Some horses are a little nervous and they jump. Others are seem really calm and they take off. The horses know they're in a race, don't they? They know they're competing against the, the other horses. Isn't that true? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, I mean, we will never be able to get a definitive answer because uh, Mr. Ed hasn't raced yet. We can't get a talking horse. But I, you know, if I had to take a guess, I would say that they know for sure that they're in a race uh, there. I covered the Preakness in 2019 and one of the horses kind of kicked up and knocked the jockey off of its back. And you know what that horse did? It ran against the other horses without yeah. a jockey. So, yeah. you know, I would definitely think the horses do know that they're in a, that they're in a race. Oh, yeah. um, this is, this is you know, the, one of the things, one of the things I wanted to mention to go back to uh, Jack's previous question with the jockeys, the jockeys do have to make weight as well. 
So they, you know, they, they get a certain amount of props as, as well. And right. to be, you know, 105, 107 pounds, to be able to control a 2,000 pound horse going at 45 miles an hour, you know, that, that's, uh, you, you kind of cut from a different cloth, <laughs> you know, kind of giving new meaning to uh, the term little big man, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, one of our viewers, Rick Sherlock, wanted to know how they think they can uh, fool, you know, people taking a drug test, kind of like steroids, the equivalent of sports where athletes use steroids, yet don't fail the test, you know, when they get tested because they use it a certain amount of time in advance. They have it down to a science. Some of them do get caught, but some do get away with it. Well, that's... yeah. To to speak on your point, Jack, and that's a great question. Uh, that's one of the things that Bob Baffert is known for. He's known for like using this special type of ointment that he rubs on, you know, the back of the leg of the uh, of some of the horses that that he's claimed had that have had a scab or have had some type of infection in their leg. And he says, you know, unbeknownst to him, that it oh, contained yeah. it contained ingredients that were that were banned you know unknown like to the athlete he never knowingly took anything yeah never knowingly took anything and yeah i well, i see i see here. frank's question is secretariat the goat probably probably secretariat has the record for the quickest time in the wait, Kentucky wait Derby. Wait a second. Wait a second. Mac takes issue with that. Wait a second. Mac's all time. The goat to Mac is Sea Biscuit. Yes. Mac's I love going on record saying Sea Biscuit. I love Mac's Mac. He was gypped. That guy was, that horse was gypped. He beat yeah. me in a war. I mean, a man of war was one hell of a, a, a horse. Yeah. Uh, this, <laughs> There's nothing. There's nobody like Seabiscuit. He's, he was, yeah. Well, well. Here's what's interesting with Secretariat. Secretariat was abnormally big for a thoroughbred racehorse. It was like the Shaquille O'Neal of racehorses. And when Secretariat passed, they performed an autopsy and they looked at the size of the heart and the size of the lungs of Secretariat. And it was like three to the heart, especially the heart. It was like three times the size of the average racehorse. So it was able to pump out blood, pump in and pump out blood at a much faster rate. And Secretariat's oxygen intake was like out of this world. Jason, and it had the record for the uh, quickest time at the Kentucky Derby, a minute 59. And it has the record um, for the Belmont. Uh, where where Secretariat won by thirty one lengths. Jason, it showed in that documentary. See, see, Biscuit knew who he's going up against. Knew he was the underdog and would would come up to the occasion and beat. He would beat Secretariat by a nose. I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, we were, we were talking about security with the Kentucky Derby. Unfortunately, the society we live in, security is a bigger issue than it's ever been. And the Kentucky Derby is a worldwide event. The eyes of the world are focused on the Kentucky Derby uh, today. Uh, you're on location in Kentucky. Do you have a sense that we have a security has been tightened to a large degree? What's your feeling being on location? Uh, I definitely feel, well, 
Uh, I think I could have a better answer for you after I cover the Derby because this is my first. But in terms of picking up my credential, I saw that there were a lot of streets that were closed. There was a heavy police presence, much more than normal. Uh, there were helicopters, you know, flying over and whatnot. I expect today when I go to Churchill to go through... I don't want to say an extensive search as if I was going to visit someone in a in a correctional facility, but I, I, I think security is going to be tight where I may have to walk through, you know, two metal detectors, empty out my pockets, uh, put uh, my items in, a, you know, in the in the conveyor belt where they screen things you want not. Uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if uh, security today at Churchill is is right on par with like being at the airport, if you know what I'm saying. So, Jason, of course, this is one of the oldest oldest events in in in, in the United States. It's been going out forever. Um, the it, the unique thing about this is that how they get dressed up uh, with the hats and the dresses and all that stuff. Are you going to wear a hat and a suit, Jason? Or are you Absolutely. I have a three piece suit custom made and I do have a fedora. I would have well, liked know, to pull well, out well, the, well, you, don't, you don't own a three piece suit, Jason. Who are you trying to fall here? Yeah. You have a sport jacket. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm kind of going to do the, uh, the Dwayne Wade thing where the, you know, show my ankles off. Uh, the slacks are going to be cut a little short, and yeah. I'm going to be wearing loafers with no socks. Why, Mac? Mac, I thought about pulling out the fedora now, no. but it's a it's a little too early. All right. Wait a second, sports it. riders don't dress up anymore. I don't get this, and you're seriously going to wear a, a suit? That's that's a that going back. Great point, but that's uh going back to your previous question as to you know how is the horse racing media different from the other sports? That's one of them. So yeah, the the horse racing media dresses up really well, with you know bow ties, fancy hats. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Say it again, Pags. Are you staying at the golf house? No, I'm not staying at the golf. I'm staying. We're we're, we're staying in the uh, in, you know within the confines of our apartment, <laughs> our luxurious no, two bedroom it's apartment. Easier. Yeah. yeah. That's the great. House is the place to be. A great question. Sports media, the different sports, the dress code. I know it changed. When I first covered boxing, I'd come with a suit and tie. And over the years, no one wears suits and ties. It's rare, very rare. It gets to the point where you just wear a plain shirt or whatever. But Jason, today's race, what should we look for? Who's the favorite and who are some of the favorites and who are the live underdogs? Uh, ta uh, Tappet Trice is a live underdog. I want to say it's coming off as like an eight to one. Today, the odds may shorten as we get closer to race time. Uh, the favorite is Forte and beautiful segue uh, into the point that I want to make. Uh, one of the fascinating stories about this derby is you have two brothers, two brothers competing against each oh, other, yeah, yeah, racing yeah. against each other in the race. The Ortiz brothers. You have Irad Ortiz or Irad who's uh, of Puerto Rican descent, will be running on Forte, the favorite, and his brother, Jose, is running uh, uh, King's Barnyard. King's, excuse me, King's Barn, running out of the sixth slot. Have they ever won a major derby? 
Absolutely. The Arkansas Derby and the Louisiana Derby. And uh, Kings Barn comes into the race today undefeated. Wow. You, nice. you kind of wonder who does the family root on something like that? I don't know the parents around. That That's interesting. The they were uh, they were mentored they were mentored by uh, by Angel Cordero, Angel Cordero, you know, legendary jockey. Yeah, very, very yeah. cool. So uh, if you want if you want my pick today, if you want my pick today, I I am going to go with Kings Barn first, and I want to say that Derma Sotagate, the Japanese horse running out of the 17th slot is going to finish in the money. And that right there is going to be history because they've never had a horse run out of the 17th slot to finish in the money. I don't know why. I tried to look the at the, the uh, you know, find the scientific reasoning as to why the 17th slot coming out the gate is different. But yeah, it's, it's just really weird. And, and just a little history for you. The fifth slot has produced the most winners in the history oh, of the Derby. Right. Wow, I bet that's when people are betting. That's that's analytics like they use in baseball. baseball. Do people use analytics for betting the way they do in baseball percentages, like you mentioned. Oh, uh, absolutely. That's what wow. That's that's so what that's what these that's what the professional handicappers do. So Rick, also, Rick wants to know what is the long shot I bet today? Probably lose your money on long. Yeah, you're gonna lose it. Yeah, I don't see how any of these horses, because Mac, a lot of these horses that are that are coming in at forty to one, forty-four to one, they weren't even scheduled to run. All right, how about they you weren't even supposed to run. Like that in itself says yeah. a lot, you know. How, how about the eight to one favorite, the eight to one underdog you had there that you told uh, us? Oh, I want to say it was Tappage Trice. Tappage Trice, good, good horse. Really, oh, really, go. really good horse. For there you sure. go, Rick. Try out the tapping. And, and and look, and you want a long shot? Verifying. Verifying uh is running out of the out of the number two slot. Uh I've <laughs> at one point it was like 44 to 1, but it's come down a lot. The interesting uh the interesting dynamic with, with verifying is it's the son of Justify, and Justify won the triple crown. Yeah. yeah. So the that last the last horse again is is what again save for Rick again? Uh, uh, verifying. Verifying is the other one. So those are your running out of the two slot. You know what you have you some people. Maybe Pags will remember some names. You might Mac, Jason. You might. You have some sports personalities who become horse race owners, like a Rick Patino. He had a horse. Some others, you know, they have a horse. Did they get horses? Does it make any money for them? And they know they're going to lose their money, and it's like an expensive toy. They're just in it to have fun, and if they make money, that's great. Well, well I mean, you know, that would be a great question to ask Rick Pitino. Uh, He's no longer here in in Louisville. He's now at uh, he, he's at St. John's. Uh, my my guess is, I don't think they go into it thinking that they're going to produce the next Triple Crown winner. But you know where they make uh, where they make a couple where they make a couple of dollars and sell the horse and then move on to something else. I most definitely think it's 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 an investment. It's a business venture that they go on. How I I, I don't necessarily think that they want to have fun. 
Y you, you know what I mean? I, that's too much money to to have fun yeah. to just waste. You know, Jason, I think I think there's something to, you know, a rich person likes to have, you know, have certain things. Like like I'll give you an example. You have a rich pe person buys a restaurant. He really doesn't know nothing about the restaurant business, but it's kind of you know, I, it, look what I have. And I think there are rich people out there like that. So maybe a couple of horse. You know, they buy the horse because it's a little publicity. Look what I got. Uh, you don't have it. Uh, I imagine it's a little bit more competitive because it's a sport. Of course, they want to win. So, but I, I think something goes into having, you know, having a racehorse uh, to your name, you know? But yeah. Matt, your guy, Bill Parcells, in retirement, he's at the racetrack at Saratoga as much as he can be. He absolutely loves it there. But is, Jack, is, is Bill Parcells... Uh, an investor, or is he just doing it for recreational use and, and to, like, gamble? I haven't heard about him owning a horse. Maybe I don't know if you guys heard about it, but I know he's a, he's constantly at the track. He just he loves it. And, Mac, to go back to your point about being an owner, um, that, you know, you, you in, in some cases, you can find a horse that has multiple owners. And what that means is, you know, a, a group of people say, "Bags, uh, Mac and Jack and myself, we all chip in. We throw, you know, a couple of, you know, we each throw in 10 grand and we purchase a share of the horse. So in some cases, being an owner doesn't necessarily being the sole pro proprietor. Right. It, it means like, you know, you have a piece of the horse and whatnot. Yeah, it's like a Chester Investors. Chester Downs, which is right around the corner from me, literally, uh, you, you can become part of the Chester Investors, and they are uh, a group that own a number of horses, and you can, you can pay money into that group and own a certain percentage of a horse or a number of horses. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, Jack... Boxing guru extraordinaire. Think of it as when Bernard Hopkins, uh, Shane Mosley, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, and I'm forgetting, I know there was one more person uh, that had Golden Boy, uh, Marco Antonio Barrera, yeah. had, when they had, you know, shares in Golden Boy promotions and whatnot. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, speaking of boxing, uh, Jason's a boxing writer as well. And as Pags and Jason came on at the same time, coincidentally, virtually at the same second, we were talking about uh, Tank Davis. Uh, the court judge turned in a decision on him. And I'm not going to go over all the crimes, let's call it, that Tank Davis committed. But what the judge basically came down with the penalty. And Matthew said he got off. Well, he didn't get off. He got off life likely compared to what he could have right. okay let's right. put it that way he got three months of house arrest but the house arrest is going to be served in his trainer calvin ford's house and calvin ford i think is a very good influence you know who can kind of mentor you know tank davis he's kind of like a father figure to him you get that impression so I think that's going to be good that he's not serving the three months alone. It's under the supervision of a guy who's kind of like a father to him, who's going to be counseling him the whole time. Then he has 200 hours of community service. Hey, he's trying to talk, Jack. He's trying to talk. 
and, and three months of pro, three years of probation. Meaning, if you mess up in the three years you're on probation, you do something stupid again, you could really get in big trouble if you mess up while you're on probation. So it's not like he got off completely. Listen, he got off lightly compared to what he could. Now, everyone unfortunately is going to think this way. Well, when can he fight again? You want to know something? Calvin Ford's probably having a treadmill put in the apartment there. You know, maybe a punching bag. You know, he'll keep in shape these three months, basically. What else is he going to do? Can you well, imagine after three months yeah, he might yeah, come out yeah, of there next yeah. week? Let yeah, him talk, Jack. Let him talk. We're about ready to close it down. So go ahead, Jason. Uh, give us your, your answer there, and then we got to get going. Yeah, I, I reported on on Tank Davis's situation for Amsterdam News, a New York publication. Uh, I, Jack, I do I do agree that it could have been much worse. He was looking at seven years, but here is my concern. I think it's very good that Calvin Ford is involved. And one thing that I've noticed with Tank Davis, he may be an idiot outside of the ring. Or, or maybe that's not a nice word. He doesn't make the best decisions outside of the ring. But in the ring, I've seen discipline. I, I've seen intelligence executed. So him being under the watchful eye of Calvin Ford is a great thing. My concern is three years. Can Tank Davis stay out of trouble for three years? That is that is going to be the big question. Tank Davis has not exhibited the best uh, uh, the best discipline, has not made the best decisions outside of the ring. So those three years are going to be very very telling. All right, guys, I want to thank, uh, of course, Pax for dropping in. I'm glad he he showed up today. Uh, Jason Gonzalez. Uh, thanks for coming in for the uh, for the Derby report, sharing some of your boxing thoughts too. I mean, you know, you you, all, you were a great guest last year. You've been a great guest this year, and uh, we appreciate you stopping and taking some time. And, and I'm I'm a, I'm a friend of the show, baby. Friend right. of the show. All right, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, on I'm glad you came on because you brought in some some intelligence to this show. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and my peoples. Bags was yeah. listening yeah. intently today so that's that that's different yeah. so, and uh maybe a knowledgeable guy mac is to yes. me i mean he yes and he remembers he doesn't want to hurt my feeling he says you're not so real, quick, real quick jay real quick because i of course i i had that i have technical difficulties during one of the things 7 14 21 winner no winner uh which one is with the give me the names give me the names because I, I don't know the know. number uh, let me get, I could get back to you when I, when I look at my sheets and whatnot. And that's what I was going to suggest. Maybe there's a way, real talk. Maybe we can link up a, a, a little later from Churchill and you can see the fedora and bring All some right, live cool. action. Very cool. Have a good Absolutely. one. Folks. I would enjoy that. We'll see you tomorrow on this week in sports with me, Jack, Jim, Jeff, Coat, and the rest of the crew. Have a great, great Saturday. Take care folks. Thank Jim you gentlemen. Jack.